what if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm on the third floor of a heritage building in downtown Toronto. It's bright, brick walls, big windows. There are desktop Macs lining the walls. Everything is white, even the bricks. Hello? Hi. I'm here to meet Devin. No last name. Um, yeah, I'm Devin. Uh, I'm the program manager here at Rainbow Railroad. Um, why are we holding back your last name? So that I can continue to do this work <laughs> and not uh, endanger my own security and the security of the people that I'm helping to move. Devin's work is dangerous, but she's not in anywhere near as much danger as the people she's trying to help. Devin works here at Rainbow Railroad, an organization that gets people out of countries where their lives are at risk for being gay. In a nutshell, we move people from places where they're being actively persecuted by the state or um, by the society in that country to a place of freedom where they can be themselves. I'm Macy Rowe. This is The Doc Project. I've teamed up with the BBC World Service to tell this story because it crosses cultures and continents. We are going to go on a journey, following two people over the course of a year as they make a bid for a better life, as they try to save their own lives and the organization that is making it possible. Yeah, so we have um, a couple, a lesbian couple from Barbados that's due to travel tomorrow evening. And um, yeah, we're kind of just getting prepped. A lot of the logistics had to be expedited quickly as the, the couple um, faced an emergency. What happened? They'd been homeless and in precarious housing for some time. Uh, and then um, this past weekend, their, their house was um, lit on fire by an individual who was committing a hate crime. In Barbados, being gay can be punishable by life imprisonment. And that's if the government gets involved. Hate crimes against gay and trans people are common. Devin says the fire was put out and the couple weren't harmed physically. But the guy who did it, she says the couple knew him and that this wasn't the first time he'd gone after them. Everyone is scared he'll try again, maybe something worse. So the Rainbow Railroad team decided to get them out immediately. When were they supposed to be coming? Like, when was this plan to happen? We've expedited the process by about a month. Um, so we had four more weeks to prep, and we moved it to about three days. Three days to get them out of Barbados and into Canada. We're calling the couple Jane and Patricia, pseudonyms necessary for their safety. It's because the process of getting people out is dangerous. There is an obvious historical parallel here, the Underground Railroad running north from the U.S., helping black Americans, especially slaves in the 1800s, escape to a new and hopefully free life in Canada. The Rainbow Railroad follows that tradition. It is dangerous for the people escaping and often risky for the people helping them. And these routes are global. 
So we have assisted people from 14 different countries in 2018. Most of the folks that we help come out of the Caribbean, but a lot come from Middle East and North Africa, Eastern Europe, um, Sub-Saharan Africa, Latin America. And they get a lot of requests. We got 1,300 requests in 2018, and we moved 200 people. This year, it's even more. Historically, a lot of the people Rainbow Railroad would help would go to countries in Europe. But with borders closing and anti-immigrant tensions rising, more and more are coming to Canada. What are the conditions around them coming here? I mean, are they coming as refugees? Can you explain a bit about how it works in general? I can't really talk about how they are coming here uh, to ensure their safety. And so I can't really go too into depth about um, what happened prior to them arriving or what their status in the country will be. Right. There's a lot of that in this story. Details Devin won't or can't say. This organization, they stress over and over they are not doing anything illegal, but they do need to keep secrets. Roots open and close all the time, and part of that is based on how much information countries know about what different organizations are doing. With Jane and Patricia arriving tomorrow, the team are rushing to get everything done in time. There's a laundry list of must-haves, and then there's a laundry list of, like, would-be-nice-to-haves. So we've cut a lot of the would-be-nice-to-haves in preparation to make sure that they don't um, die waiting. Which has happened before. A lot is hanging on the next few days. All I can hope for them is that they have that they have strength to get through those first few months and that they fight really hard to get what they need here and that they eke out a community and that as black women, black queer women, they're not harassed and they're not hurt because that can happen here too. And that after those first few months that they find a space for themselves and like eventually they feel good and safe and free. We make arrangements to meet the next night. Tomorrow. I'm going to go with Devin to the airport to meet Jane and Patricia. 30 here. But I don't see Devin the next day. Instead, I get a phone call. Hey, Devin? Hi, Issy. So, got an early morning message that we're going to have to move the flight. Um, yeah, the, I can't really go into too much detail about what happened, but, um, we have to, we have to hold off right now. Are they safe? Relatively speaking, I, we're doing what we, we're doing everything we can to keep them, keep them safe, uh, as they wait. Okay. Well, thank you yeah. for the update. Okay. Keep me posted. Will do. Okay. Good luck. Thank you. Bye. Bye. A week later, I get an email. New flights are booked. We trust nothing until the couple are in the air. But when they are, we head to the airport. Yeah, we're headed to Pearson. It's late. The snow has <laughs> delayed our, our uh, arrival time. So uh, we're just headed to the uh, arrivals area to pick them up. It's the coldest night there was last winter. January, pushing minus 30. Devin doesn't want me drawing attention to us at the airport, and a microphone will do that. So in the back of the car, I try to hide my recording gear under my parka. I end up putting the recorder in my pocket and sliding my microphone down my coat sleeve, which explains some of the crunchiness for the next bit. Thank you. We get to the airport, make our way to the arrivals board, check for flights from Barbados. Yeah, it looks like they've landed and they are just going through immigration, so they should be out fairly soon. But they're not. How long have we been here? 
We got here at 11.30, so some time has passed. We have been at the airport for four hours. Something is going on behind the scenes in immigration, but Devin won't explain any of it on the record. Then finally, Devin gets a text. She's texting me and saying they're, they're okay and on their way down. And we head to meet them. There he is. As Jane and Patricia walk up, the first thing I notice about them is that they don't have any luggage, just a backpack each. The second thing is their shoes. They look brand new, like new shoes for a new life. Hi, I'm AC. Hi, I'm Jane. <laughs> I am Patricia. Hello. How are you guys feeling? Tired. I bet. Very tired. But excited. Yeah? Yes, please. All right, you ready to see your coats? Yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) I hear it's cold. Yeah. And with that, the Great Canadian Makeover begins. We've got a hat. You already have hats. You're well prepared. There you go. Um, And then hopefully we'll see if these fit. But they should be good for at least tonight. Yeah, I was nervous. Yeah. Yes, please. But you did it. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Were you nervous too? Not as much as her. <laughs> <laughs> Is that okay? Yeah. Okay, let's go grab a cab and we'll take you to warm beds. We're walking along, Jane and Patricia carrying their backpacks, wearing their new unfamiliar parkas with the tags still on. There is this moment, and they gently reach for each other's hands. But it's not like the comfortable, casual grasp the nonchalant affection that most couples take for granted. They reach, but they barely brush before they let go. And I chime in. You can do that. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so, Jane says. They smile at me, but they don't try to hold hands again. Okay, you ready? And then we step out the doors, and the winter night wipes all thoughts of hand-holding from everyone's mind. Yo, it's cold. Wow. <laughs> Fucking wow. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's nice. Jane tries to disappear into the neck hole of her parka, but Patricia seems more game. What do you think? I like it. I like it. Okay, we'll see you yes. tomorrow. Then. See you tomorrow. Okay, good night, guys. Okay. I'll see you in a few weeks. Welcome to Canada. <laughs> Bye. Weeks pass. The couple gets settled in, and I follow their progress from a distance. Six months later, summer, I check in. That's coming up. From CBC Podcasts and The Fifth Estate, Brainwashed is a multi-part investigation into the CIA's experiments in mind control. From the Cold War and MKUltra to the so-called War on Terror, we learn about a psychiatrist who used his patients as human guinea pigs and what happens when the military and medicine collide. Listen to Brainwashed on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, how you doing? Hello, can you? It's 
been a long time. When Jane lets me in, I apologize for being late. She says it's okay. She actually forgot I was coming. Patricia is hanging back a few meters behind her and waves. It's a ground floor apartment, hot, completely unlike the last time we met. It's late July. It's small, but it's comfortable. We're happy here because we've experienced a lot of stuff since we've been here. We've been into the shelter. Yeah, we're enjoying it. Since I first met them, they've moved four times and spent some time in a shelter. They told Devin and the Rainbow Railroad team what happened, and the organization stepped in. A Rainbow Railroad volunteer set them up with this apartment. The building is slated to be demolished this coming January, so he donated it while he still has it. Okay, I have a television, I have a PlayStation 4, I have a fan, I have two beds. <laughs> yeah, and what we have on the rainbow, rainbow, um, the, the gate, the LBGT flag. <laughs> it's all of those flags. Yeah, it's, it's everything. Yeah. The rainbow flag hangs over the window, its colors filtering the sunlight that traces in. There's no kitchen table or couch, so Jane grabs me a lawn chair and we put it across from one of the beds where she and Patricia sit down. And Jane tells me her story. I realized from a very young age, say age 11, 12, exploring, but I had to keep a secret for a while. I used to dress like a tomboy, more masculine, but it was hard. All my family, Barbados is a very, say, Christian upbringing. So they got the idea that the Bible, that two women shouldn't be together. They say it's an abomination. We should burn. Growing up, Jane kept the fact that she's lesbian a secret for as long as she could. But eventually, her family figured it out. It couldn't hide my appearance. I couldn't hide it anymore. So and then someone walked in on me and a friend, so it was bad. She was kicked out of her house and had to move in with her grandma, her cool grandma, as she calls her, the one person at the time who was okay with her being gay. But things got worse from there. Well, I have been charged for having sex with a girl. Yes, and I was only 16 at a, at a point of time. Yeah, I've never seen so many guns in my whole life. Handcuffing me and treating me like I'm a criminal. The girl Jane was caught with was also a teenager. They'd met playing football, hit it off. We got up, we got dressed, everything. And the police come bombing through the door. So much guns, everything. Took me into the police station. I spent two nights in holding. My family came. It was hard on them because I, they were kind of embarrassed. And I went to court and it was charged. What happens to you when you're charged at 16? Um, they like put you on probation. I had like probation for six months. Coming and going to the police station to sign in, make sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing in school. And Jane says there was one moment in the whole ordeal that stood out to her. It wasn't even the arrest itself. It was when she went to court for her sentencing. It was the only time she said she was scared. Only when I went into the courthouse dressed like a man. I was dressed like a full dude. And the magistrate told me to sit down. He, he didn't want to take my trial. And he told me to never come back and there dressed like that. I'm not a man. And I didn't think that I should be asking for gay rights. I think it's human rights. I should be free to ask express who I am in any way. We all born with rights. You're free to do whatever you want to. I should be free to do the same. But 
it's by the laws. You can be charged. You can be locked up for it. And then, a few years later, Jane met Patricia. <laughs> a friend introduced us, to be honest. And from there, we were inseparable. <laughs> we were good. We met over the phone, and she came by me. We had pizza for our first date. <laughs> yeah. It was nice. What did you think the first time you met her? Oh, she's annoying. What? <laughs> she had me so angry. She don't follow instructions. She did not follow directions. Oh, my God. Yeah, she was annoying. But Patricia had her own first impressions of Jane. She's really bossy. <laughs> so we've got bossy and annoying. And when did that annoyance <laughs> turn to something more? Because you've moved across the world together. So yeah. You can't possibly still think she's that annoying. Oh, yeah, she's still annoying. But, but I still love her. <laughs> I, I don't know. It was just She was nice to me in every way. And she was there for me through everything that was going through my family. And yeah, she was there. I could always depend on her. How does it make you feel to hear that? Good. <laughs> Patricia is quiet, shy. For the most part, she lets Jane take the lead. I ask her what life in Barbados was like for her, and she starts by telling me the kinds of things people would call her growing up. Look at that little fire. Look at that little bullet boy. Um, those names, those names you, 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 you get called. I mean, stuff like that is to be said to you. Um. If Patricia sounds anxious talking about this, Jane steps in to explain that it's for a good reason. The night we were coming home from a supermarket, she was attacked. We was both attacked, but she was hurt. I wasn't hurt. Her faces had bruises. Her leg. They'd been coming home from a grocery store when a group of guys jumped them. Jane was okay, but Patricia was hurt. When I ask them for more details, Patricia doesn't want to talk about it. And the whole thing seems like kind of a blur. What's clear, though, is that while this incident was especially bad, it was also one of many. I ask Patricia what it's like now, what she's trying to focus on here. I guess seems like being more open about whom you can't put your hand on her shoulder or hold her hand in public. So sometimes when she goes to hold my hand, I just stiffen a little bit catch myself and it's like I could do this over here it's okay it's okay but just little stuff like that um starting to get used to and what does it mean now to be able to hold each other's hands in public for me me everything I can be me I'm free I'm I'm happy (laughs) I'm happy to be honest I'm free holding hands it's such a simple thing which is why I keep coming back to it It's the symbol of everything these women have been through. Jane took the lead on reaching out to Rainbow Railroad. She heard about them through friends and looked them up online. That's where most of their clients come from. Word of mouth, then Google searches. Jane sent an email and got a response asking about her, her life, her partner. Devin told me Rainbow Railroad are rigorous about making sure that people are who they say they are. Not just that they're really in trouble, but that they're really gay. It's all part of protecting the underground roots. When they got the offer to come to Canada, Jane and Patricia talked it over. 
Trisha wasn't sure at first. She's really close with her mom. Her mom knows she's lesbian and supports her. But when even her mom told her to go, Patricia's decision got a lot easier. But Jane, she knew right away. If Rainbow Railroad had said, um, if they'd gotten back to you and said, no, like, sorry, we can't help you, what do you think your lives would be like now? I'd probably commit suicide. Okay. Talk me through that. I couldn't take it anymore. It was too much. It's either that or probably get a boat and see if I could come across it in a boat. I don't know. But But that's how dire it was. I don't want to say this, but I probably would have killed somebody or somebody probably killed me. I would have had to do it myself. But it was bad. It is very bad. As Jane talks, Patricia, who until this moment had been watching her, shifts and stares down at her hands. I mean, what's it... What's it like for you hearing her say that? That's a lot, huh? Yeah. What do you think your life would be like now? I'm not sure. You might not have her. I'm glad that's not a possibility. I called Devin to check in. Hello, Devin speaking. Hey, Devin, it's AC. How are you? Hi, AC. I'm good. How are you? Visiting the couple in their apartment, it strikes me for a second as, I don't know, you bring people here to a new country, and then what happens to them next? Rainbow Railroad's mandate is to get people out of danger, move them somewhere safe. They don't do extensive settlement work. Instead, over those first few weeks, they hand off to a patchwork of other organizations, legal aid, community housing, while they get back to what they do. We have to keep moving, and the organizations that are here in Toronto that support newcomers are the ones that pick up uh, where we leave off. And I wonder, what are Jane and Patricia living off of? The answer is essentially determination, the kindness of strangers, community organizations, and a small government stipend, all while they wait to be granted work permits. But right now is an especially difficult time. Vacancy rates in Toronto and Vancouver, where so many newcomers are arriving, are determinedly low. And housing is uniquely complicated for people like Jane and Patricia. They can't live in expat and immigrant communities from their home countries, because they might be faced with the same threats they were trying to escape in the first place. And then there's more. Cuts to services. This past year, funding cuts were made to Legal Aid Ontario, an organization that newcomers rely on to get things done, like status hearings and the aforementioned work permits. Under it all, there's this tension, a very political one, about whose responsibility newcomers are. It's a tension Devin is used to being pressed on. Their story is not unique and like how this is really a problem and there needs to be an addressing of this problem at a more systemic level than like, you know, blaming the newcomer or blaming organizations that are trying to support them. And then, in all of it, there is one very important detail. These folks shouldn't have to 
relocate in the first place. They're being persecuted merely because of their sexual orientation or gender identity or expression. They should be able to live free and well lives at home. It's illegal to be gay in 72 countries. In 12 of those countries, you can be sentenced to death. Since they came here, we've moved 60 other people from a whole slew of other countries all over the world, and we need to continue doing that work um, because there's more of them out there that are waiting, and we've received 1,500 requests this year. This phone call with Devin. It was in the summer. I've checked in with her since, and those numbers have now more than doubled. On June 23rd, 2019, Toronto has its Pride Parade. Toronto Pride is huge. It's one of the biggest in the world. I get there early and stake out a spot in the cheering, sweaty, glitter-encrusted crowd to watch the Rainbow Railroad float pass. Jane and Patricia are on it. Jane is wrapped in a rainbow flag, the same one from her window, like a cape. I've never seen so many people in my whole entire life. It, it woke me, to be honest. And we were on the back of the, not the float. Oh boy, it was, it was awesome. I honestly thought it, it, it wouldn't have been so grand, but it was like the number of people that was there. I thought the whole of Canada <laughs> decided to come out for Pride that day. <laughs> they're celebrating us. They're, they're, they're thanking us for being gay. It's not normal for me to see, but... Yeah, people just waving and they're happy. Everyone was happy. When I first met Devin, back in the Rainbow Railroad offices, I asked her a question about what she hoped for Jane and Patricia. And she gave me a very realistic answer. She hoped they'd survive some very difficult times. That they have strength to get through those first few months. But she also said something else. Really, I want them to be able to love each other. I want them to be able to, like, walk and hold hands on the street. I want them to be able to go to a bar together and, like, make out on the dance floor. I want them to be able to do whatever they want to do. Um, And, like, previous to this, that could have been the end of their life. So that's kind of what I want is the simple things, you know. After the parade, Devin tells me this story about how at one point she's getting up on the float and she looks over and Jane and Patricia are kissing. This sweet kiss in front of all these people. How they felt comfortable to do that. A full circle moment. And to Rainbow Railroad, I'm forever grateful. <laughs> yeah. And we can't wait to volunteer. We've been waiting for the longest time. <laughs> We're still waiting. <laughs> we want to we wanna help. I, I really want to help. I want to help people the same way I've been helped. I really want to do that. Because they're saving lives every day.
The Rainbow Railroad was a co-production of The Doc Project and The Documentary from the BBC World Service. It was reported and produced by me, and it was produced and edited by Caitlin Smith from the BBC. For more great stories from around the world, you can check out The Documentary on podcast. You can find them and subscribe wherever you subscribe to us. Now, we don't have photos of Jane and Patricia, nor of Devon for security reasons. But you can head to our website for more information about Rainbow Railroad, the work they do. You can find that and more at cbc.ca slash docproject. That's all for us this week. The Doc Project is produced by Julia Poggle, Allison Cook, and me. Althea Manassin is our digital producer, with backup this week from Shoei Chu. Our senior producer is Jennifer Warren. I'm AC Rowe. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.